Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. We're still in the book of Leviticus, chapters 4 through 7, and these chapters are all about blood sacrifice. The question has been raised, why blood sacrifice? You ever asked yourself that? Why would God, who is merciful and gracious and loving, demand that his people actually kill a lamb or kill a ram or kill a bird in their stead? Has that question ever been raised by you? Today it's really interesting because the question is, and it's a big argument against the existence of God, how could an all-powerful, all-loving God allow evil to exist? Have you ever heard that question? Okay, it's something to ponder because you look at a child who is molested. How could a loving God allow that to occur? In fact, I would submit to you that there is something going on that's deeper than just God allowing that to happen. And we're going to answer that question today, I believe. The question is deeper than it appears, and part of the answer is the character of God himself. God will not go against his word, and he will not break any covenant that he's made. Do you know that? God cannot lie. Do you know that? He cannot go against his word. He can't break covenant. These are things that, though sovereign, he cannot do. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the terms of the covenant were death. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Is God a liar? Let me ask you a question. Did Adam and Eve die? Something died. What happened? Since God won't break the terms of the covenant, won't go against his word, their sin had to be paid for with an actual death and blood. God himself killed an animal and in place of Adam and Eve, killed that animal and then clothed them with the animal's skin. God himself performed the first blood sacrifice. In theology, we call that substitutionary atonement. You ever hear that term? If you've been in the church a while, you should have. Substitutionary atonement. It all points to what? Jesus Christ. You know, he took upon himself our sins. The animals in the old covenant took the sins of the people on them. And so Adam and Eve were clothed with this skin. And in Galatians 3.26, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, how does God see you and I? With Christ's imputed righteousness. He sees us just as perfect as Christ himself was. Isn't that amazing? Okay, but Leviticus presents the terms of the blood covenant. The price of sin is death and blood sacrifice. But more than that, and we're going to get into that in a minute. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Do you know that before Adam sinned, there was no sin in the world? 
Adam was not born or created with a sinful nature. Have you ever contemplated that? In fact, he was perfect, he was good, but yet he chose to sin. Who else was created perfect and good and actually uh, served God and finally rebelled against God? Satan himself, Lucifer. Okay, there was no sin before Lucifer did that, and there was no sin in the world until Adam did that. The consequences of sin is very clear. The wages of sin, even in the new covenant, is what? death. Hebrews 9.22, and according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Folks, I got to tell you, God established a covenant with Adam and Eve and said, the day you eat of this, the day you sin, something's got to die. And he established substitutionary atonement, something dying in the place of others. Substitutionary sacrifice. It all points to Jesus Christ. In Leviticus chapter 1 verse 4, if you recall, it says, Lay your hand on the animal's head, and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. That was the old covenant. New Covenant, through the sacrament of communion, we remember that Christ took upon himself our sins on the cross of Calvary. So, God showed his people that sin has real consequences. Not only for you individually, but for the world itself. Sin did a lot more damage than death. It brought a curse onto the entire world. Do you know that? Okay, now we're going to get into some cool stuff here. The curse of sin. Sin resulted in pain, suffering, and being separated from God and physical death. Sin always will result in that. I've been in pain since early January. If you recall, I had a bad migraine headache, wouldn't go away. Finally, it got so bad it mimicked a stroke. Uh, went to the ER twice, just as that was subsiding. And by the way, it's really hard to function when you have that kind of pain. I got about a diverticulitis, which I haven't had for like two years. And then I couldn't eat. At the men's retreat, I couldn't eat anything. Uh, I lost about 18 pounds. I still have about 10 more to go. And so, <laughs> but I, I mean, it was painful. If you've ever had diverticulitis, it is extremely painful. You can't, every little bump in the road, it's like, ah, ugh, ugh. as that was just getting healed up and subsiding, uh, one of my students in the Bible college is a boxing instructor, and he lets me go to his class for free. It's a gym right up the street. So I'm in there, and he goes, and there are stations. And uh, I hadn't worked out for, ah, gosh, maybe six months. And, but I'm in there. I give it 100%. So, you know, I'm boxing the gloves and in the ring with him, and he's putting the targets. And, and then I go to the next station, and there's this one where you had to do uppercuts on this bag for five minutes, and I was as hard as I could, uh, uh, uh. I, I pulled all the muscles on this side of the rib cage, and I don't know if you've ever done that, but even to breathe, I couldn't even take a full breath of air, it hurt so bad, and for a week, I dealt with that, and then I was favoring that, so two days ago, my back started hurting, and I can't even hardly lay down and sleep. I have been in pain since mid-January with no let-up whatsoever. I should have called Chris Brunt and had him pay pray for me. <laughs> Does God use pain? 
Absolutely. You know, it is in times of pain that I run to the Lord for comfort. However, is he the cause of our pain? Is he the cause of evil? Is he the cause of sin? We're going to examine those questions this morning. The whole world became a fallen place because of sin. The results of sin in Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 16, it says, To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing, and your pain will give birth to children. You desi your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because... You listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you. You must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. That's the whole earth. Literally ground there could be the, the earth, the, the whole terra firma. Through painful toil you will eat of it the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it was where you were taken. For dust you were, and dust you will return. All of that is pain, and it's the result of what? Sin. Now, does God cause the pain, or is there another cause? Hold that question. All creation, the world itself, is under the curse of sin. Today, we live in what's called, theologically, we call it a fallen world. Who's the king of the world right now? Satan himself, and we're going to get into that. We live in a fallen or literally corrupt world, but in Romans 8, chap verses, chapter 8, verse 18, it says, For consider the suffering of this present time, Oh, it's not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who has subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to what? Corruption. That's all creation. Into freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. That's the result of sin. That's the fallen world we live in. But how could a good God allow all this suffering and pain? That is the biggest theological and philosophical question in the world. If you've ever counseled or talked to someone that have lost a child, it is the most severe pain anyone can imagine and I got to tell you, a lot of Christians, their, their answer is, well, God's sovereign. You know, he, it's his will. There, there's a, God had a reason to kill your child. Folks, I got to tell you, God is not the one that killed your child. And we're going to get into the, the reason I say that pretty quick. And one man in particular, the father of atheism, uh, who, who do you think that is? Darwin. Okay. Do you know Darwin was a Christian in the beginning? Darwin was a Christian, and he served God, and he had a great mind, and he was using it for God, but something happened. His daughter, Annie, died in the year 1851. She was only 10 years old, and she suffered this painful, agonizing death. Darwin watched it happen and prayed and asked God to heal his daughter, but he would not, and his pastor or whoever it was said, you know what, it was just God's will. You just got to accept it. Sometimes God takes kids home early. Darwin, because he could not accept the fact that a loving God would allow his precious daughter 
to die, left and abandoned his Christian faith. He became the father of really the foundation of atheism today, and that's evolutionism or Darwinian thought. How could a good God, God, allow suffering and evil? Someone told him it was God's will. He couldn't imagine a loving God doing that. Was it God's will or the result of living in a fallen world? Don't answer that. I want you to think about it. Does God cause sin, evil, suffering, and death? How could he still be a loving, merciful, gracious, and kind God if he did that? You know, God commands us to forgive how many times? Seventy times seven. What's he saying there? Keep track. As if someone keeps hurting you, and man, when it gets to 491, I don't have to forgive you any time. No, no, it means just keep forgiving. If God demands that we love our enemies, that we forgive those who persecute us and hurt us, don't you think he so much more being a God of love is forgiving and merciful and kind? The very character of God is what is at stake here. The God in whom we serve. Epicurus was a philosopher way back, way, way back in first century and even before. And he said, either God wants to abolish evil and cannot, or he can but does not want to, or he cannot and does not want to. If he wants to but cannot, he is impotent. If he can and does not, he is wicked. But if God both can and wants to abolish evil, then how come evil is still in the world? This is a question I do a lot of street witnessing. And the most profound question I can think, I can tell when people have really thought about it, is when they ask me this question. How could a good, loving God allow evil and pain and suffering and tragedy? When we hear of innocent children being abused, I tell you what, when I interviewed to be a chaplain with the sheriff's department, and they said, what if you go out on a child abuse call? I said, I better stay in the car because I don't know what I'll do to the person who abused that child. Uh, they still accepted me in the program. <laughs> um, tell you what, it, there, if there's one thing that gets me riled up, it's when innocent children are being abused. Do you think that riles God up too? Do you think if he could intervene, he would? Now, I want you to consider this. When we see Muslim terrorists killing hundreds of Christians that happened on Palm Sunday in Egypt, how could a good and loving God allow that to occur? when someone gets diagnosed with cancer, or on you could go, and you hear many misguided theologians and preachers say, ah, oh, it must have been God's will. You know, he's totally sovereign, and every death is a result of his direct action. Have you ever heard this? Who teaches that? Calvinism. Or hyper-Calvinism. In a world of free choices, God's will is rarely done. I got to tell you something. Doing your own will is much more common. We can't blame God for the tragedies in the world, not even the tsunamis. Do you know all the early church fathers wrote on natural disasters? Guess who they attributed natural t disasters to? Augustine, Tertullian, Origen, 
You name them all, they all addressed it. They attributed it to Satan himself. Because Satan is now the god of this world. Okay, now, it's really interesting. This is why Jesus told us in the Lord's Prayer, you ever wonder about this? Let thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Why would Christ have us pray something like that? The reason is clear. God's will is not being done on earth. We need to pray that it will be done on earth. When will it be done on earth? Hey, at the breaking of the seventh seal, right, he will begin to enact his wrath on this godless world. The Antichrist and all those that have taken his mark will experience the wrath of God. That's when God will begin to take back the earth. And during the millennial reign of Christ, then and only then will God's will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Christ is literally asking us to pray for the second coming. Uh, meaning God's will is not being done on the earth right now. More on that a little later. The Bible explains the root of evil. So what is the cause of sin and evil? I'm going to summarize it and then we'll go through some verses. Satan is the god of this world and actually the world is still in Satan's grasp. The Bible tells us that clearly. Jesus will not assume his authority over the world until the millennial reign. Until then, this is enemy territory and our citizenship is in heaven. We are ambassadors. This world is not our home. Until then, this is enemy territory. So the most accurate answer to this question, who is the cause of sin and suffering and death and evil? None other than Satan himself, not God. We are strangers and aliens. Satan, through the Antichrist, will eventually rule the whole world in government. All death, pain, bad, etc. come from Satan, not God. Only Christians and the church are under the authority of Jesus. God is self-limiting in what he can do. Though fully sovereign and all-powerful, he will not go against his word. He will not break covenant. He will not lie. If he has established a law, he will not recant. He will not violate his word. And the Bible says it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. What do you think that's talking about? Hey, we live in a fallen world. If an earthquake strikes right now in L.A., there's going to be some Christians that get hurt. God has bound himself with his own word, and that's what makes him trustworthy. God promises in Psalm 89:34, my covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. God cannot go against his word. So when God told Adam, man, when you sin, the result is death. And he confirmed that with Abraham. He confirmed it with Moses. He confirmed it throughout the word of God. He cannot renege on that no matter how loving and gracious and kind he is. God is not the author of lies. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Satan is a murderer from the beginning, the author of lies, not God. I want you to think about that, especially in the Calvin versus Arminian debate. It's Satan who blinds the minds of men that don't have faith, not God. 2 Corinthians 4.3 And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. 
Satan is now the ruler of the world. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him up to a high mountain as Christ was being tempted. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Interesting. You can only give what you have control over. Christ didn't question the fact that Satan is the king of this world. Jesus, speaking about Satan, said this in John 14, 30. I will not speak much more with you. The ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Who's he talking about? Satan. Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God, and note this, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, I want you to consider how terrifying that is. Where we live, this whole world, is in Satan's grasp. He is the king of this world. He has the whole world in his power. Philippians 3.20, thank God, but our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So all death and suffering come from Satan. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. John chapter 10, verse 9, verse 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He is a liar, the father of lies. He's a murderer. He wants to destroy mankind. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is going to and fro across the world trying to devour people. Verse 9, but resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Who does Peter attribute suffering to? Satan. If you're a Christian and you're suffering, man, it's from Satan, not from God. We are in a battle. Further, God does not cause temptation. In James chapter 1, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Now, at times, the discipline of God can bring pain. In Hebrews, we're told God disciplines those he loves. That's true. But what is, how does he discipline us? Does he himself do it or does he allow Satan to do it? He allows Satan to do it. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So all the good comes from God. All the bad apparently comes from Satan. John 3.16, we know the verse, but it goes on to say in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not judged. He, does not, who, he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light 
and their deeds were evil. Do you think God caused them to do evil deeds? No. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds might be exposed. So the definition of evil from theologians and philosophers is anything that is bad, sinful, death, suffering, pain, ignorance, poverty, folly, everything that is not good and blessed is evil. Okay, in philosophers' minds and theologians' minds. Lucretian had a deductive argument against God. And all modern arguments against God are based on Lucretian's argument here. Evil exists, and all loving God would want, above all else, to eliminate all evil. Do you agree with that? It seems like it, right? An almighty God would be able to eliminate all evil if God wanted to, above all else, to eliminate all evil and was able to do so, there would be no evil. Therefore, there is no all-loving, almighty God. And that's what Darwin concluded. That's what every atheist conclude, and this is their logic. How do we answer it? The best answer is free will. Since God is almighty and all-loving, he is self-limiting. He cannot violate his character. He can't. He cannot go against his word. He cannot lie. He cannot break covenant. He will not violate free will. I want you to consider that one. God will not make anybody do anything apart from their own choice to do it. In fact, the whole Bible is simply a pleading with mankind to choose God, to choose life, to choose good. Do you know that if every person in the world today, right now, this very moment, decided, I'm, I'm gonna, I, Jesus Christ is real, I'm going to follow this book, there would be no evil in the world? Do you know that? If everyone really followed this book and didn't disobey it, there would be no evil in the world. Huh. This guy, Alvin Plantinga, is one of the preeminent... You've heard, any of you guys hear of this guy? He's a preeminent philosopher, Christian philosopher, uh, pr professor of philosophy emeritus at the University of Notre Dame, uh, Calvin College. He's well-respected. He's 85 years old. Uh, today. And that he's, he's an old guy. No, no, just kidding. He's young. <laughs> uh, he's, he said it's all about free will. He's one of the greatest Christian thinkers in the world today. And he says for him, the answer is all about free will. God will not violate the free choice he has given man. Is it God's will that everyone come to repentance and faith? Absolutely. Yes. He, will he make them? No, he won't. He's given them a choice. In fact, this whole exercise of life is a test. Are you going to choose right or are you going to choose wrong? Are you going to choose holiness or are you going to choose evil? Are you going to pursue Christ or are you going to pursue your flesh? All of life, this whole thing is simply a test for us to choose to follow the Lord. And Joshua, we know it. Man, choose you this day, God said to the people. Either serve the one true God or serve the idols that your forefathers served. And Joshua said, but as for me and my house, oh, we, we will serve 
the Lord. Want to know what God's will is regarding salvation? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 makes it very clear. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I, that's a really bad translation of that word in the Greek. It sounds like God wishes people would come to repentance, but it's just a wish. Oh, guess what the word means? In, in the Greek, it is to will deliberately. This is Thayer's definition. To have purpose, to be minded. Strong's definition is to will, that is to be willing. Literally, it is to predetermine, to will and a purpose that all men come to repentance. What is God's will? That every man, woman, and child on the planet are saved. How do we know it? Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, Joseph and her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned, same word as willed, to send her away. So even in that verse, we could say, but as patient toward you, because God planned that no one would perish, but all come to repentance. Hell was made for who? The Bible's clear. Only Satan and his demons, not for people. Now, people that ultimately reject God will go there. Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Again, that same word. This verse nails it, James chapter 1, verse 18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of God of truth. That's the same word in the text in Peter. Not wishing, no, his will is that no one perish, but all come to repentance. So it's not God's will, not only God's will that all men are saved, but he, it's his desire as well. 1 Timothy 2.3 This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That word desire is thaleo. In the Greek, the thayer is to will, to have in mind, or to intend. The Greek is quite clear. It is God's will that all men come to repentance. Who, do you remember who blinds the minds of men? Is it God? No, Satan. We read the verse earlier this morning. To be resolved or determined to purpose to do. It is God's purpose, resolved, determined will that all men are saved. But Calvinists say there's no free will and God is the author of sin. How do we know that? John Calvin himself wrote, the papists hold that man through his own free will returns to God. On this point is our greatest contest with them at this day. He goes on to say, must we then impute the guilt of sin to God or invent a double will for him so that he falls out with himself? I have shown that he wills the same as the criminal and the wicked. This is Calvin. But in a different way. That's in Concerning the Eternal Predestination of God, page 184. Further, 
There's only three possible answers to the question. How could a loving God allow sin? Or is God the author of sin? Which Calvin asserts. God is not powerful enough to destroy all evil. God created evil. That's Calvinism. Who created evil? This is R.C. Sproul Jr. He wrote this book. He said, the culprit is God himself who introduced evil into this world. In fact, God acted according to his strongest inclination. He acted on what he most wished to come to pass, as he always does. I am not accusing God of sinning. I'm suggesting that he created sin. That's in the book Chosen by God, written in 1986 by R.C. Sproul, Jr., the charge first appeared by the Gnostics, Florinus in 180 AD. This exact charge. It was immediately attacked by Arrhenius, and Arrhenius, by the way, was a disciple of John, who wrote the book of Revelation and the Gospel of John. And Arrhenius published a discourse entitled, God, Not the Author of Sin. Florinius's blasphemy even grew into a whole uh, movement and cult called Manichaeism, which Augustine was a part of before he converted to Christianity. They say that there's a, there's a God that actually formed all the evil, and now the evil God, Satan, is just as powerful as the God, good God, God, and we don't know who's going to win. Or the third answer is God created free will, and creation chose evil. Obviously, I believe in the third answer. God is not powerful enough to destroy evil. That's the first one. Our answer is obvious. God is all-powerful, just self-limiting. He will not violate his word. If he says in his word, if you do this, you're going to die, guess what? You do that, you're going to die. There's no question about it. He cannot go against his world. He won't violate his word of free will. The second one, God created evil and even wills it. That's the Calvinist position. Calvin wrote, for myself, I take another principle. Whatever things are done wrongly and unjustly by man, these very things are the right and just works of God. Okay, not only does that affront the character of God, but I believe this is a doctrine of demons. Boy, I'm probably going to get a lot of emails from Calvinists this week. Bring them on. I'll debate you. <laughs> because the God I know is a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy, who does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He goes on to say, but the objection is not yet resolved that if all things are done by the will of God and men contrive nothing except by his will and ordination, then God is the author of all evils. Now earlier, actually 10 pages earlier in this book, he wrote, God is not the author of all evils. But then he, I guess thought about it as he wrote more and said, well, I guess he has to be the author. If, he, if, if it's only his predetermined plan, everything that occurs, even that flake of dust traveling right there, God preordained that to happen right now. I tell you what, I believe it's a demonic characterization of God. His secondary cause argument goes like this. Satan and all evil acts and sin were all predestined by God to be done. In fact, God authored it. 
They have no free choice in the matter. So that murderer that did his thing and the suicide bomber, they, did, they don't have free will in the first place. God ordained them to go murder all those people in that Egyptian church. However, God himself doesn't carry out the act of sinning or doing evil. He just makes them do it. Since he doesn't carry out the evil, he is not guilty. That's his reasoning. Okay. Let, let's bring it home a little bit. A woman hires a hitman to take out her husband, but she actually doesn't do the act, so she's not guilty. Well, obviously she's guilty, right? <laughs> okay, some statements. It is good and loving to allow free will. That's the most loving thing God could do is give us free will. So God has allowed free will because he is good and loving. If everyone obeyed his commandments, there would be no evil. If God allows free will, then he can't make someone obey his commandments. He can encourage them. He can bring consequences if you don't obey, but he can't make you obey. The problem of evil arose from the will of created beings, not the creator. God is all loving, kind, merciful, pure, holy, just. Aquinas Thomas Aquinas said, God, God created man with free will and angels for that matter. God wishes in each case that the creature choose rightly. That's God's will. But he cannot will that they always do so. He is to respect their created natures. So why is there sickness, death, and bad things in the world? Because of Satan. John 10.10, 10, the thief Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and more abundantly. Over 25% of the healings Jesus did in the Bible, the sickness was attributed, guess what? To demons. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Remember some sickness? And they called it what? A buffeting spirit. Could it be that all sickness, pain, death, evil in the world is a direct result from Satan and demonic activity? and not from God. In Luke 13, 16, remember the woman who had this issuing of blood? She couldn't get healed. Christ healed her. It was on the Sabbath. The Pharisees got mad. And he said, This woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan had bound for 18 years. She was physically sick. She wasn't demon-possessed. Should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? Interesting. There could be a lot more to the spiritual realm around us that we don't even know. Remember Elijah when he was on that hill and a servant was scared to death. All those armies were coming against them. And Elijah said, man, there's greater power of those that are with us than with them. And he said, Lord, open up his eyes. And there were fiery chariots of warring angels around Elijah and his servant. When you pray, remember in Daniel chapter 10, when Daniel prayed and was asking God and agonizing over the fate of Israel and everything that was going on and the prophecy that he had just got, for 21 days he was on his knees agonizing and fasting and praying. Finally, an angel came and appeared to him and said, wow, the minute you bowed your knees to pray, God sent me with the answer to your prayer. Think about this. But for 21 days, 
This demon from Persia was holding me back and I could not get through. But finally, Michael came and helped me. And so now here I am. Think about that. It, there is some covenant that Satan is the God of this world now. We live in a fallen world and even answers to prayers have to come through something. Now, sometimes it's instantly. Let me ask you some questions. Oops. All right. Parent asks her son what he wants for his birthday. Son wants a skateboard. Parents give the son a skateboard and set rules to follow, to keep him safe. Hey, wear your helmet. Don't go in the street. Make sure you don't go down a steep hill. You can do it here. You can do it here. You can't do it there. They set all the perimeters and rules. Son goes out, has a fatal crash. Who's to blame? Parents? God? Satan? Parents didn't allow it. They couldn't really have prevented it. All suffering and evil is a result of our natural and spiritual laws as well as our free will in a fallen world, not a result of God causing it. Yet sometimes God pours out his wrath. That is a direct result from God. Sometimes he disciplines us. If you've ever been under the discipline of God, I have. Sometimes I've, I've gotten sick or something has occurred. It's really all about free will. Ezekiel 18.21, But if the wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed and observes my statutes and practices justice and righteousness, he shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions which he has committed will not be remembered against him because of his righteousness which he has practiced, he will live. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God? No, but rather than that they should turn from his ways and live. That is God's will. Why does sin and bad things happen? We know God desires good for all those that love him. He desires and wills that all men come to repentance. And God has actually limited himself so that there are times when he cannot intervene. God will not do anything against his nature. God is love, light, good, gracious, merciful, forgiving, wanting to bless, willing that all men repent, unable to go against his word. The truth is that God is sovereign and has unlimited power, yet he has self-limited himself to be bound to his word. God can do anything, yes. Will he do some things? No. Jesus clear it. Well, we read that one too. Okay. All right. He's limited himself by his own word and his promises to us. Is it hot in here? Or is it just me? Just me? Okay. Whew. It's this computer. <laughs> I'm getting fired up maybe. That's it. Hey, God will not break covenant. He won't break his promises. This is why blood sacrifice is the only way to pay for sin. Death is the result of sin. Thank God Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Amen? He paid the price for us. He died for all mankind. We read it in 1 John 2.1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the payment or propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also those for the whole world. You see, God made provision for every man, woman, and child in the whole world to be saved. It is they who reject him, not he that rejects them. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. <clears throat> the truth is that God is sovereign. He can do anything he wants, but he has limited himself by his very word, and he won't violate free will. All right. God established this principle, whatever a man sows, that will he reap. You ever hear that before? You know, that's true. A lot of Christians are suffering difficulties because they have sowed to the flesh rather than the spirit. They're being disciplined by the Lord. But God can put a hedge of protection around you. Do you know that? Do you ever pray that? Or put a hedge of protection around my children. Where did we get that from? From Job. Hey, Satan went to God and said in chapter 1, verse 10, Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Something in the spiritual realm, God protected him. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. In the midst of this evil fallen world, God doesn't cause the trouble Satan does. But God does hold us and comfort us in the midst of our pain. John 16, 33 Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. In James chapter 1, 2 through 4, it says, Consider it joy when you go through various trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, the pain and suffering and evil in the world, through it all, God holds us and comforts us. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, it says, Praise be to God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. Romans chapters 1 and 2 are all about free will. Consequences of choosing wrong. In fact, God says they continually choose wrong, so I give them over to what? A reprobate mind, meaning they weren't born with it. Interesting. Result, all evil, bad, death, and sickness comes from sin and Satan, not from God. God gave us the world initially. We have seven minutes, so, so I'm going to rush through some of this really quick. We had title deed to the earth in the garden. Do you know that? Before Adam and Eve sinned, God said, hey, rule over the world. I'm giving it to you. The minute we sinned, we don't know what contract God had with Satan, but Satan then became the God of this world. He tempted Eve. She fell for the temptation. We know the serpent in the garden is Satan, by Revelation 12, 9. 
The devil of old, the serpent of old, who is called the devil, Satan, who deceives the whole world. The woman fell, Satan became the ruler of this world in the garden, and title deed to the earth was given to him. Matthew 4, 8, again, the devil took him and said, Man, Jesus, you bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth, because they are Satan's to give. Acts 26, 18 it says, open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from what? The domain of Satan to God. Where's our citizenship? In heaven. Domain of Satan? The earth. For now he still reigns over the earth. Job 1, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. This is Satan's playground right now. He is now the ruler of this world. In John uh, 5.19 it says, We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the enemy. Jesus made it clear when he said in John 18.36 to Pilate as he was questioning him, My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus admitted, I am not the king of this world. Satan is. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm because the kingdom of God is in heaven right now. This is an interesting verse in Ephesians. And he made alive uh, who are dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Have you ever heard some of these weird people that murder people and say, well, this voice just kept telling me to do it? Who do you think that voice was? Satan at work in the sons of disobedience. John 12, 31 says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. When will that ultimately occur? Right after the abomination of desolation. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. 1 Thessalonians 2, 18, For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan hindered us. Interesting. We are in a battle, folks. Be of sober spirit, 1 Peter 5.8. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan will give his dominion to the Antichrist. If you read the Left Behind series, what is his name? Carpathian? Carpathian. Guess who gave him his power? Satan himself, Revelation 13, 2. The beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like that of a lion, and the dragon gave them power and his throne and great authority. Satan's throne is over this whole world. And he gives that throne to who? The Antichrist. Jesus paid the price for the earth, and he will have dominion, and he will take control, but not until the breaking of the seventh seal. Until then, the breaking of the sixth seal, that's when that war in heaven takes place, and Satan and the Antichrist finally lose power. It's three and a half years into that 70th week of Daniel. For now, we live in enemy territory. 
We're fighting a spiritual battle. All creation longs for the coming of the Lord to take back the earth. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, what was finished? Payment for sin. But he didn't take possession of the earth yet and will not until after the abomination of desolation. In Daniel 7.13, Jesus will get dominion back, and Daniel tells us exactly when Jesus will again be the king of the earth. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. When did that occur? If you read earlier in Daniel 7, it's right after Satan was judged and thrown into the bottomless pit with the Antichrist. When does that happen? At the end of the battle of Armageddon. So not until then. We live in enemy territory. Revelation 12 tells us when this will occur as well. The woman fled, speaking of Israel, into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she would be nourished for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. The last three and a half years of that seven-year period. At that time, right then, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels were waging war with the dragon, Satan, and the dragon and his angels weighed war, but they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Interesting. He's finally cast out. And the dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And then, this is right after the abomination of desolation, verse 10. I heard a loud voice and saying, Now salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come. Not until then. For now we live in a fallen, ugly, evil world that is under the headship of Satan himself. That last seven-year period, by the way, the first seal is coming of Antichrist. Second seal is war. Third seal is famine and earthquakes. Fourth seal is pestilence. Fifth seal is Christians being killed for their faith. Right between the fifth and sixth seal is the abomination of desolation where the Antichrist goes into the temple, declares himself God. The sixth seal, the sun grows dark. The great tribulation begins. The seventh seal is God judging this earth. At the end of the seventh seal, the second coming of Christ, and Christ takes dominion of this world away from Satan once and for all. All death and suffering come from Satan. So folks, this morning, I would submit to you that every time a child dies, every time a child is molested or abused, has nothing to do with God's will. It has nothing to do with God at all. It is this fallen world and Satan himself that is enacting these atrocities because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Not God. Christ comes to give you life and that more abundantly. But in the meantime, we live in enemy territory and it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is self-limiting in the fact that there are certain things he cannot do. Not that he doesn't want to, 
but he cannot because of his word and the promises in his word. Does that make sense? I hope this helped. I hope we didn't just go through this exercise, but for me, the greatest argument I have against believing in God is the very issue we discussed this morning. Leviticus is all about the reason why we have to give blood sacrifice. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who's in the world? Satan. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who does not know God does not listen to this. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We are no longer under Satan's dominion. The good news is this morning, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, that's this world, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son that's not of this world. So we are ambassadors of God in a dark, ugly, hurting world. Oh, there's still glimpses of God's glory in the world. No doubt. Hawaii is a great place to see it. Laguna Beach. I love to go there because it looks like Hawaii. And, you know, the montage, all of that. There's glimpses of our creator's glory and creativity in the world still. But make no mistake about it. This is Satan's domain. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You know what that verse is all about? Free will. I pray that this week you would be lights to a lost and hurting world. That you would remember all pain, all death, all suffering, in fact, potentially all sickness comes from Satan himself. And that God wants to give blessing and not a curse in the lives of those who love him and serve him. Amen. Sand restores my soul, satisfies my need. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, Contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course and we'll see you next week.